All right, social media family. Thank you for joining us once again. We are on lesson four of the Christian philosophy series. And the subtitle for our lesson tonight is how do we know the Bible is inspired? How do we know that the Bible is inspi inspired? Right. So for the I'm, I'm going to jump right into the outline for these first few points. OK. And we're going to kind of dig into this topic because I know this is something that. I don't know about you guys, but I've, I've been just coming across a lot of people that have like Sue was saying, you know, other versions of the gospel, like another gospel or other types of religious ideologies. It seems like I'm, I'm hearing a lot of different stuff. And then people who have been, who have experienced church hurt, who used to be Christians, who are branched out into other things, right? So this is real, it's a, it's a pertinent topic. How do we know that the Bible is inspired? Because there are many different attacks against the scriptures. Now, a general attack is that it's just man-made. Right? Now, for an uh, African-American community, I've heard this for years, that it's the white man's book. Right? And then other groups I've heard say that the New Testament is corrupt. Only the, only the Torah can be trusted. Right. And that's just a, a short list. OK. Now, let's go to. Let's go to Matthew 24 and 35 before I before I jump to the outline. Matthew 24 and 35. And I'm going to read that in the old school King James. Matthew 24 and 35. This is Jesus talking. He says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. His words shall not pass away. All right. So that's in the red. Then. All right. So this is what. This is what Jesus said. Okay. Now, you remember Jesus saying in the Gospel of John, he says, my words, they are spirit and they are life. Okay. So if we go back to the garden again in Genesis 3, if we understand, if we look at the scriptures, we know that there's an enemy that is trying to distort, to twist, to steal, kill, and destroy, right? So if Jesus' words are spirit, they are life. What would be the enemy's chief strategy to come against his word? Uh, 
That's good. Devalue, right? Yeah. Devalue, discredit, undermine it, undermine it, dilute it, twist it, twist it, or anything to divert our attention from it, basically, or yeah. belief from it, rather. Right. Right. Okay. So as we as we all are familiar with, there are different there are different ways that that has been manifested in our culture today. Now I want to jump into the outline now. Um, There's a, a few points from the outline that says, instead of looking to God for guidance, many Christians today are turning to science or the principles of this world to answer their questions. But this is exactly what the Apostle Paul warned not to do. Now, this is the first bullet point from the outline. Do you think that this is true? And if so, does anybody have a specific example? Go with it again. Explain again, because I know what you said. All right. Instead of looking to God for guidance, many Christians today are turning to science or the principles of this world to answer their questions. But that is exactly what the Apostle Paul warned not to do. Health issues. Absolutely. That's a huge one. Yeah. It is. I don't know if I have a specific example. Like, you know, as Mary said, health issues today, we more programmed to go believe the doctors. And, like, once again, we're not against doctors, but oh, no. right. that is our first thing. It's like, okay, well, if the doctor can't do it, then it's a death sentence. Or it's mm -hmm. no healing involved. It's just you got to live with it. Mm -hmm. And, you know. Yeah. Or even if if um, you question the doctors, the first thing that is so easy to do is to run to your computer and get on the web and find out all the information you can right. about whatever they're telling you or whatever you're feeling and go see what you can find to do yourself to make it better. Okay. All right. I know for me personally, um, in my wheelhouse, I know mental health is a huge issue now. Right. And I and unfortunately, I've heard so many people um talk bad about pastoral counseling and stuff like this you know just just their encounters with christian counseling and things like this what do you mean talk talk bad about it that meaning they had a bad experience mm -hmm. not okay they had a bad experience they had a right? no not just that a bad experience and then they there's been you know just a, a talk about the scriptures not being enough yeah. The yeah. Bible, yeah. you know, the scriptures aren't enough. Yeah. And I, 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 I look at that. I hear that. And I'm like. Now, Jesus said his words are what? Spirit and life. Right. right. So if I'm a believer and I can't. Get answers from the scriptures, if the if the scriptures aren't enough. Then. We're, I'm, I'm, 
I struggle with that. Now, granted, obviously, I'm a therapist myself. I believe in therapy. Therapy is it, 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 it's, it's very helpful. It works. It's, it, it can be very positive. But the, the struggle I have is that is that statement that the Bible isn't enough. And that's what I and that's what I struggle with, because honestly, from from my experience, the principles that you're taught, like the principles in cognitive behavioral therapy, the the micro skills that that they teach, active listening, validation, empathy, all of these principles and techniques can be found in the, in the scriptures. Yeah. Jesus is teaching in the Proverbs. James. Yes. James says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Mm-hmm. Right? And this is something that we're taught in, in, in school about how important it is to listen. If I may jump in, what does is, what is Jesus refer to as one of his names as wonderful counselor? I've thought about that a million times. I'm like, he invented counseling. He, you know, he, yeah. he is yeah. the counselor. Right. I'm <laughs> like, God, you're a counselor. That's cool. Right. Yeah. That's good. That's good. But my thing, as you so, would you, we, we have to find a balance somewhere. What? We what have to find a balance between, because, yeah. you know, that's your profession. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it, but the word has everything. Mm-hmm. So, how does a believer find that balance? Okay, I would say, practically speaking, the the, the issue is discipleship being missing. And when I say discipleship, I mean being able to sit down and chew on the word and see how it applies to whatever challenge I'm dealing with. Because, see, you're not going to get that type of in-depth, practical application just on a Sunday morning. You can't get that just on Sunday, right? You can get conviction. You can get inspiration. But once you step out that door, you're going to need some support, to 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 even act on that motivation, so it it so the seed that was sown on Sunday morning can get inside the root of your heart and produce fruit, right? And see, and that's where we talk about you know discipleship, the small groups, um, and even one on one discipleship with a with a older believer, right? So and, and see in those types of settings. You can unpack the word and see how it applies to every situation in your life. Because the Bible is not going to tell you what what color car to drive, to buy, to drive, what house to buy. But the scriptures, by, by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, will allow the wisdom to be developed to hear his voice, to receive his guidance. On certain things. Wasn't it Andrew had said one time, and Andrew, well, I mean, he's very big about the Bible as an answer for just about everything. I mean, it is everything, but I mean, like you said, practically even. 
he was um, saying that a minister had an issue with the tent. He had a tent meeting or something. And they needed, you know, they you had all to think practically what to do. And he said he opened his Bible and literally it landed on the scriptures where it was saying, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. And even that, like, <laughs> you know, God had used that to show him what to do. But it's funny because um, mm-hmm. I listened to Andrew's chapel the other day live a couple days ago. Um, maybe it's Monday, I'm not sure. And he was talking about, of course, he always talks about money and time because it's the basic, but he got to talking about that. And he goes, just think, he goes, one hour a week. What you were saying is one hour a week is not enough. He goes, they met every day. Mm-hmm. He said, it's not enough just to talk for an hour and get fed, you know. And he goes, you're not really getting fed. He goes, they, they met every night or every day. He goes, if that's what they did and that's how they grew. What you're saying is like more mm-hmm. and more. Right. One on one groups, small group, could be three people, could be three, you know. Doesn't matter. It's getting together and like you said, chilling with the scripture, talking about things, sharing with somebody that's either older or something, you know, somebody seasoned. It doesn't have to be older, just older in the Lord. Right. Right. Because recently I had a conversation about this week, believing you know, they were they saying, Well, you know, you're dealing with something. They said, I'm praying, praying and you know, I get answers from God, but I always tell people to get a word from God. You got to get in, in the word of God. That's where it starts. Yeah. Because we're praying, not saying God can't answer your prayer if you don't read the scripture, but as he was talking about, okay, everything you need it's in the word. It's in the word. But we we're trying to get a word from him, but we won't get in the word. And yeah. spend time, like he said, with in these groups and personal time, and you know. But you're trying to say, okay, we're well, answering my prayer. Well, that's your first step is to, you know, spend some time in the Word, reading Word, and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. That's, that's very important too. What you're saying is like letting the Holy Spirit speak to you about it because there were scriptures like in the Bible that two years ago I was terrified. There were scriptures in the Bible more of them that I was terrified of three or four years ago in my life but like now i look at them and i go oh god that's what you meant because i thought it meant something different than what it did and it terrified me and i'm like oh you didn't mean that god you meant this it's so free you know for that time i couldn't have been guided by the word because it really wasn't what the word meant you know and i mean that's why it's cool that we have teachers and people like an andrew Womack ministries and here and stuff and good sources to go like that's not what it meant. You know, it was taught this way. So like we were saying earlier, when it's been twisted, the word, that really is a, oh boy, that's a big hindrance there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Getting the truth, the real truth of it. Yeah. You, but you have, you know, you've got confidence that he can answer your prayer. But you don't have confidence you can get it from the word. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, you know, the both is kind of like, you know, yeah. contradicting. Because if you believe you can answer your prayer, then you should have confidence that, okay, I can go to the word. Yeah. And get a ring words for my mm-hmm. situation and I could hear him. Yeah. He said, Oh, okay, that's what he's saying. You know, so yeah. sometimes we, we believe in prayer, but we don't believe yeah. as we call it the ministry of reading. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that is such a good point. That's good. Yeah. That is a great point. You know, just to speak a little bit on the discipleship uh Jay's mentioned. Um, you know, I had a an older relative 
you know, he's going on to be with the Lord now. But he really, you know, in his later years, he got really turned on, uh, you know, with the church and with, well, with the Lord. And so he was just going to Sunday service, you know, with his wife, family, you know. He, he was pretty um, diligent in going on Sundays. Well, so he got turned on. He started going to Bible study. And he immediately recognized the difference. And he was like, you know, and he went and told the pastor, you know, after class, he was like, people on Sunday, you know, they need to hear this. They need to get this, you know. And because that's kind of how it is, you know, the average church, I don't know where it came from, but it's an improper balance, whereas it's the 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 things that you get on Sunday was inspiration or, you know, and that kind of thing. It was like the teaching, you know, was only an hour on Wednesdays. And it was like, you know, he realized what he was missing and he realized what everybody else was is missing because, you know, most people there on Sundays and it's about 25, 20, 25% of the people on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, man, they, they need to hear this on Sunday. You know, he basically, and being on church, and, and I visited his church, and it was a pretty good word, church. But being completely churched, he was like, you know, basically, let's flip this around and let's do this on Sunday, and then we can do this on Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. But see, that, and that's the thing, because, we, we, you know, if we talk about philosophy, Right. So basically that that's our values, our thoughts and opinions, what, what we believe, how we look at the world, you know, that that is going to take more than an hour and a half on Sunday. Yes. Right. It is. And, yeah. you know, and you talk about, you know, why certain certain values and certain things have been have eroded in our culture. Right, it is. Look at the amount of influence that the scripture has had have had decreasingly in people's lives. The amount of time that is spent, maybe looking at maybe 50, 60 years ago, hundred years ago, versus today. Like how much time. I mean, I'm not talking. I'm not even talking about like just secular culture. But I'm talking about word pe- people that are professing believers. The amount of time that is spent focusing on the word, the meditation, study, all this type of stuff, fellowshipping with other saints, all that type of stuff, because that's what shapes the lens that we are looking at life through. And the more time we spend to we give ear to other voices, the stronger the influence they're gonna have. I love, you know, I was thinking about some mom recently and she was and she agreed we were talking about it. I go, we were talking about this, you know, how we think and you know, mm-hmm. we were talking earlier about a lot of the things we go to the world for, not the Bible or go to God about, including like, you know, health issues, things like that, you know, different life things, you know, that we go through. And I was telling mom, I said, you know, I'm so glad that ministries like Harris Bible College slash Andrew Womack Ministries 
are doing, I think they're doing like Relationship University now or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I go, and then there's other ministries I've noticed. They're starting to write books. They're starting to do stuff about relationship and different relationships. I mean, all of it, we need to know everyday life stuff. But I go, but I go, you know, I was thinking earlier when we are saying, you know, what things we go to the world for instead of God is I thought about, I said, kind of like the broadened kind of like category of marriage, sexual purity, <laughs> romantic relationships. <coughs> and I, they actually put a post on Facebook recently, Andrew Womack Ministries or Karis Bible College or both. I can't remember which one either way. And they go and they had posted about the relationship university and they were, I think, specifically talking about, you know, marriage and sex and things like that. And it said, if you don't talk about the truth, people will go to the lie. And I'm like, that, oh my God. Like, I, I could stand up and just yell it out to the world. I'm like, I've seen, like, you know, I'm sure a lot of us, anybody listening, maybe too, you go to youth group, you come up in church and, oh, well, let's slap a purity ring on your finger and don't have sex till marriage. Okay, that's it. There's no guidance. There's nothing. There's, oh, there's a disease. Oh, there's a this, there's a that. But what good does God have for me? And, you know, when you don't know the good that you have in front of you that God has, it's worth taking the risk. You know, I've had so many friends who mm-hmm. this, that, and the third, and they go, some are dead. I mean, even, you know, and I go, oh, my gosh, if they could have known, if we could have known God's goodness, you know. Mm-hmm. But we need to, you know, we need to hear what we said, that God's word has good things and has the truth in there. We can turn to it. Yeah. Looking at Acts 5.42. Acts 5.42. And this is talking about the disciples here. You know, this is the, the shortly after the birth of the church. It says in, in the Amplified, it says, and every single day in the temple area, and in homes, they did not stop teaching and telling the good news of Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed. <laughs> you see that every single day in the temple and in homes, every single day. But see, and that, that's how you shape values, belief systems. That's how you guard the heart, right? You got to tend to the garden. You can't, you, you know, you, you talk to a farmer that, that tends to his garden only on Sunday. <laughs> and you see what, and see what type of harvest that comes out of that. Right? That's probably why we don't delve into many issues in the church because we only have a small time frame we do. So it's like, oh, God, of course, we need to know God loves us. And that's the basics there. Or this and that and the third. And then, okay, well, see you guys next week. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Right. So, you know, it, it's it's a day-to-day walk. Day-to-day. Looking at a couple other points here. It says, on the outline, it says, the word of God is far more re- reliable place to look for answers and a much sure foundation for our worldview. Jesus didn't go around citing the traditions of the Pharisees or the laws of the scribes. He quoted the word of God as the final authority. Science isn't isn't bad, 
is merely the observation of interpret and interpretation of, da of data. The problem lies in the interpretation, which is sometimes is based on the assumption that God doesn't exist. An obvious problem for us believers. Hmm. Okay. All right, let me let me throw this out there. Okay. Has anybody had a, in a situation where they've been talking to somebody, whether it's a friend, coworker, family member, where they have directly challenged your belief in the scriptures? Has anybody had one of those confrontations? Recently. Okay. Now, what was the what was the angle of the attack? Well, the, the thing is, they the statement was okay. Um, as far as having people pray for you, and you know, the thing was, is their position was, I don't need that because I know my self worth. So I don't need people to pray for me because I know who I am, I know my self-worth. And so I was like, okay, well, but the scripture says, and I just quoted one scripture, call the elder of the church, <clears throat> lay hands. And so, yeah. so you are, if you're saying that, you don't need, then you are going against what scripture says. The word says yeah. Yeah. Call people. Pray for you. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean, because he was, didn't say it directly, but he was literally saying if you, if you have people pray for you, then you don't know your self-worth. And I'm saying, okay, how do you feel like I don't know my self-worth because I gotta have somebody pray for me? Because I mean, I've I've lived long enough to know, okay, there are times where when you go through stuff that you just don't have the strength to pray for yourself. Not that you don't know how. Or I think I've heard Julius talking about when you're going through something, you're in it. And sometimes you need somebody to pray for it, but they're not in it. So yeah. they're maybe able yeah. to intercede for you better than you can for yourself. Yeah. Cause you're so, you know, with the bombarded with the things and maybe going on doubt, there's fear there. So you need another believer who can be strong for you enough to pray for you, you know, in yeah. a situation because like I said, you may be so bottled down at that particular time yeah. that yeah. you need saints to come together, lay hands on you, and, and there's supernatural strength come to you mm -hmm. in that situation. Yeah. So you should never feel like, okay, well, okay, I don't need it, because I know myself worth, because they don't, and I do. Yeah. Yeah, we need each other. Sometimes we really need each other, but sometimes we need each other. Yeah, but there's so many scriptures that says where there's unity, there's strength. Yeah. I mean... You know, there's so many other scriptures that you could go to scripture and say, okay, coming together, praying for you. It says, bear one another's burden. That's one other I'm scripture. Just thinking that. Mm -hmm. So, 
why would it say that if I don't need anybody? If I can just go on my quote unquote serve work, work well, and then you ask question, where does your self-worth come from? Does it come from your ability, your talents, your gifts? Because mm-hmm. guess what? Once those things are gone or you're not able to operate it, mm-hmm. then you lose your self-worth. Mm-hmm. What, what happens if, you, if all your money is gone? Then your self-worth go with it. Mm-hmm. Or your your uh, self-worth is in your ability to provide for your family. But what if you can't? You get sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then self-worth yeah. goes. You need Christ's work. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. That's when those good. things happened to me both times, I knew I needed their strength because I could not get past not breathing. And immediately I wanted her to get a hold of him and mm-hmm. y'all so y'all could begin to uh, pray. And I was you know, going by, you know, and then while I could, when I could think better, then I began to think for myself too, but not on my own. And just mm-hmm. let y'all know how things are going. Yeah. Just what happened there. I needed y'all to pray because I was in pain. Right. Mm-hmm. Right, and sometimes, yeah, when you're in pain, your mind is not. Yeah, that was a lot You know, not that you can't pray for yourself, but you know, saints coming together. I smacked that semen out there really hard. Yeah, and and see, when we talk about philosophy, right, and that whole concept of self worth, and self worth equating this level of individual individuality, right, right. And you can see that it's diametrically opposed to what the word is is saying. Diametrically opposed. Mm -hmm. Because me humbling myself, that's what's going to lead to strength. Right. Not subtract from it. Because the scripture says what pride comes before a fall. Right. But those who humble themselves under the mighty hand of God will be exalted. exalted. He will exalt you. Right. But again, that's that's counterculture though. Because the theology, or not theology, but the philosophy of the world will tell you the exact opposite. And a, if a believer is going to say that my their self worth is diminished if they have to have if they are looking for some intercession some prayer of agreement they did not get that from scripture that is some type of mixture of humanistic philosophy that has crept in and distorted their perception of themselves and of their their place in the body of Christ Brother David has said some things I want to I want to um, add. He says that the scripture sometimes it is seen as a, as myths that Christ was a good man like Buddha or Confucius, not the divine Son of God. This goes with the idea that science and logic are real. Believing in scripture is seen as anti-science and backwards. But and the thing about that is it's such a fallacy that science and and, and and biblical theology have to be opposed. But really it's the exact opposite. If you sit there and really people who are who are unbiased in their research, then they'll see the connection. They'll see how the scriptures talk about 
biological principles, quantum physics, all these things, you can see it in the word. Right? But again, that takes an unbiased perspective. And, you know, y'all, I know y'all have heard testimonies of, of scientists that have that have come to Christ in their research. And then they found they found him right there and they found him. But again, that in order to, to find him, they have to have what they have to be unbiased. Yeah. Right. All right. He also says something about discipleship when I used that word earlier. He said, I will caution using the word discipleship after after Acts chapter 11. The word discipleship is no longer used. We are sons. We have sonship. It is a family relationship. Paul called Timothy, my dear son. The word is not translated disciple, but son. Sonship includes both the greater and the lesser. If we are not careful, we can we will create a different class of Christian, and this is error. Right. Well then, okay, so then explain to me um the Jesus said go make disciples. So I never heard this before. So what, what are they talking about? Okay. That is interesting. Sons and daughters versus disciples. So I'm thinking, whoa, mm -hmm. what's that's because Jesus yeah. Right. Who was the one that first used the term disciples? Wasn't it Jesus? Well, Jesus did use that in the, in, in the disciples of many nations. Now, I'm gonna speak to what he's what what I I believe he's saying, right? Um, those who are a little older and in the faith, they will remember um, a movement in the body called the shepherding movement, right? Where there is this emphasis on discipleship okay so basically you know the idea of discipleship biblical discipleship right is the relationship that david is talking about here with paul and timothy where there's a pouring into right there's a there's a level of there's a mentoring teaching modeling all these this this relationship that's there with a one believer and another, where they're growing in the faith together. Like as Paul is walking with the Lord, Timothy is following him. And as, as Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Mm -hmm. So Paul being older, older in the faith and, and in physical age, Paul is imparting what he is receiving from the Lord and imparting it into him. And Timothy is doing the same thing, right? So when we talk about discipleship, biblical discipleship is not a, a matter of you being a class A Christian and someone else being a class C Christian, right? But what man can do in a church structure is create an environment where there is a hierarchy, where you're more valuable than the other person, right? And that's the danger, right? Been there many it times, right? And I think I saw the result of that in my friend, and I think that might very well be the reason why she's dead. Is because if you 
don't get out. If it, it's like you, why are some people that it's and and finding? I mean, finding someone that's balanced, and they're a fighter, and they know how to go get things, and they don't let people walk all over them and stomp all over them. They have high self-esteem. That's why some of them aren't dead because they're fighters and they tend to go too much in that direction. But then you have your other doormat people. Here comes the devil and my friend from a young child. She wouldn't stand up for herself or fight for herself. So in the church, she used to volunteer and then one day, a couple different things, she ended up being the invitee. And so the pastor's wife was like, oh, can you go help do such and such? <laughs> and she's like, well, sure. But it's like I would have said no because this time I'm, you know, the guest. And that church, unfortunately, they... They had a hierarchy, and they treated that's how they treated the rest of us. And it's like, well, gee, I didn't get invited to that party, did I? So she should have said, well, I'm a guest at this point. I'm a guest here today, so no, you know. And I thought, you know, that told me a lot that it's like, because I'm like, what would I have done? It's like, oh, great, you're a servant, but at some point, you're the guest, it's yeah, time to switch, you know, because then she's um, she's on the Benny Hens. Someone said, go get on the bus with all the singers on it. And they're looking at her like, oh, why are you here? And and it's, it's so why is she telling me these stories? Because they meet there because they're meaningless. I'm thinking, no, mm -hmm. because she's clearly upset about it, you know, like, oh, and so don't know what. You know, I just, it just made me think. So mm -hmm. you said hierarchy, and mm -hmm. and it is interesting, because when you said disciples, it's like, okay, this is what we're, you know, get it drummed into our head. Mm -hmm. and Do it, not ever question the authority in your church. Right. And and this is why, you know, when we talk about, we talk about. Can I finish? So then last thing, guess what happened? Mm -hmm. The pastor at, and the church that I God made me go leave heaven, <laughs> heaven on earth, and go help start this new church mm -hmm. that was a branch of the other one. So guess what? When the pastor and I now I call it his girlfriend. Now when my not ex husband and I are out supposed to be going, you know, putting flyers out for the new church, he said, "You two go here, and we're going to go there." He's off running around with that woman. That is not his wife. Mm -hmm. and that ain't okay. And then a couple months later, I got to go back to heaven on earth. And then I'm like, oh, what's the pastor doing here? Gee, I think I know why. Now, see. See what I mean? But that but speaks to. Well, hold, hold, hold on. Hold on. Let, 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 let me. Yeah, let me jump in. Let me jump in. Because we got to move this forward. But, yeah. but you, you know, you're mentioning <clears throat> another reason. Another. A more failure. Right. That. When there's moral failure like that, then it's just another reason, another way the enemy can come in and say, see, if they really believe that book, they wouldn't be doing X, Y, Z. 
Yeah. Right. An open door again. Right. Now, let me throw this out there. All right. With that being said, how can we, knowing that we're flawed, regardless of how long we've been born again, we're, we're still flawed. We're in this clay. How do we continue to exalt the God's word and continue to stand on how Christ is the only way and preach and teach that, knowing that we ourselves are morally flawed and we will fall. We have fallen and we will fall again. All right. There's there are certain things that we continue to do, even though we're believers. How do we continue to promote the gospel in spite of our moral failures? I have to be more focused on, on Jesus. That's what I'm saying. Because it says, you know, Scripture says he's the author. Looking at Jesus, who's the author and finish of our faith. So the focus is on Jesus, not on not on me or not on anybody in position, whatever, any other believer. Right. But the focus should be on Jesus. There you go. Yeah, I was just thinking that. So you cross-examine yourself. You go, I failed again, God. Oh, my God. Yeah. And he, then he brings that. You could, if you listen, he goes, it's not what you're doing or what you did. It's what I did. Mm-hmm. And he's not going mm-hmm. like, like this. It's more like, remember, it's about me. And you'll, you'll, have, you'll find peace. Mm-hmm. Because it's like you just said. It's all about him. And the one the first the first message that, that David sent, he says, one thing that I've noticed, we do not teach Christ centered messages. We teach Christ as a cherry on top of our efforts right. and steps, not the center of it all. Oh my goodness, that is that is a very full, very true statement. Because yeah, I mean you can people could fall. Right. I mean, <laughs> but you know, you know, seeing people fall, being a part of ministry, was seeing things go wrong. But my focus was on Jesus, and you know, I, you know, may not like, and maybe God may lead you another place. But the focus still need to be on Jesus, the one who paid for everything. Yeah. You no, know, so you never lose confidence in Him. You can lose confidence in people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you never lose confidence in him and what he did for us. That's good. And I don't think we understand how important that is for Christ truly to be the center, Mm -hmm. right? Because who's going? Who can bring an accusation against him? That's true. Yeah, that's good. It seems to me. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, as I was just going to say, it seems to me. that even our approach in going to the scriptures really needs to have that same point that we look to Jesus because um, what the Lord's really opening up to me more and more is uh, it's very easy to read something in the Old Testament and just take that as we read it, like, uh, you know, as we heard it as children in the story kind of thing. But never, never go to the Lord and say, okay, where's Jesus in this? And what has he done to make a difference from the perspective of, of even this Old Testament 
testimony because many of the many of the testimonies in the Old Testament, you know, they're written by people who didn't know Jesus, though they certainly were were followers of the Lord as in the best that they could. And their perspective comes out, their human perspective comes out. And God's used that to to blend and mold together the whole scripture perfectly. So it's an inerrant scripture, but it's a progressive in revelation. And, and I just think it's so important that um, like what Eric said, that we, we keep looking for Jesus and, and, and inviting him to show us himself in the words that we interpret it correctly as well. That's good. You know, I like that. Even, even when we lose confidence, in people, I mean, or in, I would say, in a particular person, that don't mean everybody falls in that category. They have balance, you know, just because this person did this, don't mean everybody else, every Christian is going to be like that. So a lot of times we tend to, and we admit that, take a group and say, oh, everybody's like this. Mm-hmm. Every pastor is like this. Mm-hmm. Every Christian is like this. Yeah. You know, no, yeah. it's just that particular person you met or that particular, that's who they were and they failed. So it doesn't mean that everybody else fits in that particular category, you know. You know, I was thinking too, just if I might say back on the thing about discipleship, but discipleship versus like being sons, you know, where David had brought that, it was very interesting, you know, thought and question. I have to think it's sitting here. I didn't Google the meaning of discipleship and I go, Basically, you know, if you look at one, just a basic Google meeting, it, you know, you look up a few definitions and it's one of the basic ones, the process of making someone become like Christ. And I go, I think we move away from that. It's such been such a, a what or use a water, a word we've used like water in the church, disciple, 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 discipleship. Mm-hmm. And we're like, now think about what it really means. Oh, we had this discipleship class in church. We had this, we had that. And I'm like, really? If you think about it, discipleship. Jesus had relationship with his disciples. Mm-hmm. Like he hung out with them every day in different closenesses. And I've heard takes on that because, you know, some try to say, well, Jesus favoritized the three, you know, Peter, James, John, I go, but, you know, we, I've heard stories where people talk to God about it and he's shown them and it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Any of the disciples that wanted to be closer with Jesus, all they had to do is be like, Jesus, I'll be close to you. He never like singled them out. It's just them guys were like mm-hmm. really drawn like closer, but they all, we're with him every day. And I go, we've gotten away from that is we think it's a class. And I think it's our Americanized thought, you know, of like go to a class, go to a class, go to a class instead of like every day, like, hey, you know, let's study the word sister or brother, you know, together. And and we don't do that. And I got to thinking, I said, you know, sons and daughters. And I go, what is a parent really supposed to do? Is there really supposed to, I guess you could say disciple their child. And I'm talking about like practical, like every day, like, you know, how does your son learn to go fishing, right? You take him fishing. Or how does your daughter learn to sew? You sit there and you're like, oh, this is how you sew. And I go, I think that's where it kind of, if it, it makes sense in my mind, I just thought it's a fresh thought sitting here like, mm-hmm. that's where it marries up together is, you know, being a son or daughter, you are being discipled, you mm-hmm. know, but it's the, the relationship, the true meaning. That's I like right. what you said about the disciples, because I heard that too, that, you know, Peter, James, and John. Yeah. But when you was talking, I was thinking, okay, well, that. Like you said, the other ones could have been closer too, but that just tells me mm-hmm. there are different levels of intimacy with him. Yeah, and he looks like he loved them all. He loved them everywhere. Right, just, so I think everybody has a choice. Choice yeah. in how intimate you want to be with God. Maybe those be chose to be. Right, they just chose to 
to right. spend more time with him and, and cling to him more. Yeah. And the rest were there. Like I said, they were always there. But they chose to be a little there's, more close. interesting. Right. Spark were like, I know more. Does that mean that? He yeah. goes, you right. know, they, everybody's the same to him. He loves them right. with equal love. Right. That would mean that was, that's almost like a, a teaching of there's favoritism. Right. And it's not. Right. It's just the more you will spend time with God. But again, relationship at different levels. Spend time with Jesus, the right. you get. Yeah, different level of intimacy was okay. Yeah, these three wanted this relationship. level. Relationship. You know, but like I said, all of them could have had it. But maybe just these three said, okay, well, no, I want to go deeper or no more. Yeah. So, See, you know, I was every, every time we went to a church, we were always like, we were doing the life cook. Like, you gotta go. Anybody, you know, I want to say to the last. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to miss. Yeah, because when people live early, you might miss something big. Lots of times, yeah, it work. So anywhere we want, every time we live tomorrow, go. I do all right. Oh, bye, because um, I'm, I want to. I don't want to miss nothing. Mm-hmm. Now, see, and, and even that speaks to the missing pieces that can be in our theology. Mm-hmm. Like for for you to to for a minister to teach that. There was favoritism with the Lord is to deny scripture because the scripture says he is what? No respect of persons. So that, that so, so, so straightway that, that, that is, that goes against who he is, his, his character. And again, I can't project human limitations on him. He's omnipotent, omnipresent. He, 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 he is not limited and bound by time. He can have intimacy or intimacy intimacy level with with uh, a million John um, the apostles at the same time because he's God, right? But now us human us humans in human relationships we are limited by what by time and space. So practically speaking, there are only there is a small group of people that we can have deep levels of in- intimacy and closeness with because of the limit. Number one, because the, the frailty of our flesh and human emotion. And number two, because just time limitations. Right? And even when we talk about teaching and discipleship and things, the pastor of the church is one man. He can't personally disciple everybody in that church, especially if you're talking about like like even a, a moderately sized church, like 150 people, 100 people, 150 people. Mm-hmm. How that man supposed to have a family? How he supposed to eat and take a shower himself? And he individually disciple 150 people. He can't do that. It's true. It's been failed so much. We've expected one man to do everything. Right. <laughs> and then we need to, you know, all of us be together. Right. So in, in this walk, we all of us need each other right we're interdependent nobody is here and somebody else here right you know we'll leave somebody hurt and broken if they don't understand that mm-hmm. when they when it was we were being told that it was like i go i don't understand that and then then he he has favorites and i go that doesn't sound like who right. he really is yeah and then you know, finally begin to realize that that it was is he, exactly what you he's the scripture. He's no respecter of people. He ever he don't say a man, he don't say a woman, he don't say a black, he don't say a white, he don't say orange, green. He, he just sees people. Mm-hmm. 
And and that's the thing, you know, us being Christ centered is a a way is the way for us to truly be an evidence of the gospel. Because think about it. Every time you screw up, all you're doing is showing the world, hey, I need Jesus. Every time I mess up, it's just more evidence. That, yeah, I need him. I, I, I don't got this. I don't. I need the blood. I need his empowerment. I need his mercy. I need his grace. So you see me, you know, stub my toe and, and curse or, or, you know, uh, cuss somebody out of food line or get get angry with my wife or, or or say something to my crazy my kids that's just more evidence that I need him that's just proof that I need him I need his mercy and his grace so this whole thing about Christ being the sinner then that that is that is huge in reference to even this question we talk about it, how do we know the Bible is inspired? We look at him. How many prophetic words were spoken in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled? Could, can't nobody do that. No. I'm talking about, you know, scripture that has been written thousands of years ago. Jesus fulfilled all these prophetic words. He is the fulfillment of all that. You name me any religious figure that can that can hold a candle to that. Confucius can't do it. Muhammad can't do it. Harry Krishna can't do it. No, none of them. Buddha can't do it. Jesus and Jesus alone. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to go somewhere too in reference just to the whole concept of the scripture and Jesus being being the focus and us being able to look at the scriptures through through the lens of him. So let's go to Luke 24. Luke 24. Now where do I where, where is a good place to start here? All right, I'm going to start at verse 35. And go down to 448. All right, I'm going to read this in the New Living Translation. Luke 24, starting at 35, says, Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was break, breaking the bread. And just, as, and just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me. And make sure that I am not a ghost. Because ghosts don't have bodies. As you see that I do. And as he spoke he showed them his hands and his feet. Still they stood there in disbelief. Filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them. 
do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a, a piece of broiled fish and he ate it as they watched. And then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Look at those last two verses. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Verse 46. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and raise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message will be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. So the, you see the fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus talking about it right there. And if we go back even further, we can see where Jesus has a discourse with the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Right. Now, do we, let me see, we got, we got a little time. Y'all want to read that? Want to look at that? Sure. All right. So let's back up. We're going to go back to verse 13. And I'm going to stay in the New Living Translation. Okay. It says, that same day, two of Jesus' followers were, were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written about across their faces. Then one of them, Cleophas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. What things? Jesus asked. The things happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of, of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing. And they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people. 
you find it so hard to believe all the prophets written in the scriptures? Wasn't it clear, clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Verse 27. Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus, and the end of their journey, Jesus acted as if he was going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us, since it is getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and at that moment, he disappeared. Thirty-two, thirty-three, thirty-four. 33, 34, it says, they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. Now you see, you see how Jesus, when he's talking to the disciples on the road at Emmaus, how he opened up the prophets, how he opened up the scriptures to allow them to, to, to see the things concerning who? Himself. And this is this is how we hold the banner up of the gospel, of the, the, the validity and the integrity of the word is to be Christ-centered, is to point to him. It's not not our, our moral character. It's not our moral, moral speeches about morality. It's not about none of that. It's about him. Yeah. I know when you was reading, I know Go back to the scripture where um, when you leave him just as the prophet, because when Jesus talked to them, um, they were saying that, hey, we came outside, and they were saying that um, how he was a prophet and how he did from God. And so some people leave Jesus just a prophet. Mm -hmm. Well, I've heard it say, prophet trying to save his own people. Mm -hmm. Now, if you leave it there, he lose the his I say significance size being the savior of the world. They don't recognize the savior of the world, but just a prophet for his own people. Mm -hmm. I've heard some religions put that stamp on him, but they, they leave it. That's all he was. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. And this, see, and this, you know, the, the dividing line between b believers and other religions is what do you do with Jesus? Who is he? Is he Savior? Is he Lord? Or is he a good teacher, prophet? moral leader. Mm 
that's where that's where we as the body are exclusive because we we esteem him as savior and lord he is the way the truth and the life no man comes to the father but by him and that's and that's it so any argument and any any accusation anything that people would throw at us in reference to the validity of the scripture we might lose a, a debate verbally but they don't have no answer for Jesus they don't have no answer for the, the fulfillment of, of the prophetic word. And that's what we stand on. We can't hold up personalities, Christian leaders, because guess what? That man need the blood just like you and me. Yeah. I don't care how big the platform is. And maybe they fell because they got a hope centering on Christ. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. And it's like just like the songs say, we gotta we we gotta place our trust in nothing less but Jesus' blood and righteousness. I think that in discipleship, it's really one of the favorite words of Bill Winston is identity. And it wasn't until I was able to, for like a year, just really be able to focus on his ministry, him and Andrew together. It is amazing. And um, and our identity in, in Jesus. And that we need to be, that's what we need to be teaching people as, as they get, or what, why we would want them to get saved is um, your identity. Like maybe um, we could do a better job at presenting talking about identity identity this is who you are that's what bill winston every single day this is who you are 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 he doesn't because i'm i'm not into whether into people sinning or whatever that that's my pastor story wasn't that it wasn't about him falling it was about what being taught as a just you know as a church goer that it, and so what I learned 20 years later, the finishing my story about that was that I would never, ever be that way again. Like I would have done that situation differently based on what I learned. And so that's, I didn't want people to get waylaid by sin. That's, that was not the point of the story at all. It was just about, um, like you said, changing my thinking and stuff. And then moving forward that this is what I'm going to do from now on. Um, that's really what I was talking about. And so if we think about our identity, you know, if on a daily basis we focus on our identity in Christ, that's that's what all of these Bible studies with Andrew and mm -hmm. other people like Bill Winston. Mm -hmm. So it's like... right. Identity, I, and I got that word from Bill Winston. He right. uses it all the time, so that really helped me. Identity, identity, identity. Mm -hmm. Son, 
daughter, you know. Right. Yeah, that's true. Right. Because how many how many people do you know and, and even us ourselves have been in points in our lives where we really didn't know who we were? Well, I say ninety percent of church I say so so large amount. We're taught to get identity from our behavior. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. Really? That is interesting. Yeah, but from from your doing. Yeah. And so if you're doing, then that's your identity. But if you're not doing, then, okay, then you don't identify. But that's what we're trained to get. Okay, you are a believer if you do A, B, C, C, and D. Mm. And so, therefore, we are trained to say, okay, well, if I'm not doing this, then I'm not that. Mm-hmm. And the scripture don't teach that, you know. I've, I've heard Bill Winston, but when we understand we get our identity from what Christ did on the inside of us. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, oh, because even if I miss the mark, as you were saying, okay, I'm still righteous. Mm-hmm. It doesn't change because I think I've said before here, yes, we'll, we'll stop being righteous when Jesus stops being righteous. And when is that going to happen? Which is like yeah, never. Right. <laughs> right. Right. I'm going to stop, stop being holy when you stop being holy. And so, but when we get our identity from that, then it's now, because I believe I am holy, now I can produce fruit with holiness. Yeah. Because I, I understand this that's is who really I am. Good. Yeah, that's but really, if I'm, really good. But if I'm saying, okay, I'm only holy if yeah. I'm doing holy actions, mm-hmm. now, that I leave room for the enemy to come in, condemn me when I miss the mark. Right. Condemnation, guilt, shame. And we yeah. talk about that way too. I mean, you know, we, we believe that way way too much in the church today right. that it's dependent upon your actions. Oh my gosh, you're doing that. <laughs> All right, I'm going I'm to run through a few of these prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. All right. Now, I'm looking at Psalms 16 and 10. Now, don't go there. We don't have time. But Psalm 16 and 10, he would not see corruption. That's what the scripture says. Acts 2, 27, 31. We can see that. Psalm 22 and 1, he would not feel for, he would be, he would feel forsaken. Psalm 22 and 1. And we see that in Matthew 27, 46, 15 and 34. So why did he feel that? Because he took on who sins? Our sins. He bore our sins. Right? Psalm 22, 7 and 8, he would be mocked and ridiculed. And we see that. Matthew 27, 29. Mark 15, 19 and 20. His hands and feet would be pierced. Psalm 22, 16. Mark 25, 23 and 33. They would cast lots for his clothes. Psalm 22 and 18, Matthew 27, 35, Mark 24, 15 and 24, Luke 23, 34, and John 19 and 24. None of the Messiah's bones would be broken. Psalm 34, 20. John 19, 31 through 36. He will be falsely accused. Psalm 35 and 11. Mark 14, 57 and 58. He would be hated without cause. Psalm 35, 19. John 15, 24, 25. He would be betrayed by a close friend. 
Psalm 41 and 9, and Luke 22, 47, 48. And I can go, I can go on. And this is just this is just a snapshot. It was just a handful of the scriptures that Jesus fulfilled. That the prophets, the psalmists, all declared about the Messiah that Jesus fulfilled. So if somebody comes up to you, whether you know, whether it's an Israelite, whether whether it's some somebody from another religious group that comes against your stance as Jesus being the true and only way. Ask him, okay, who else fulfilled all the prophetic words that were spoken about the Messiah? Who else did that? And if I can piggyback just a quick second, a uh, moment. On that, um, a lot of those scriptures you were quoting, Julius, um, I was um, on a train, actually driving, uh, riding on a train back and forth to Philadelphia when I was working out of town. And um, I sat next to a Jewish very scriptures, and he and he, and this was something I was wondering. I know it's kind of one of those, you know, nice God-like divine appointments, but I always wondered about ministering to a, a Jewish person who was not a believer yet, and so they put their confidence in the Torah. And um, he he just he gave me a list of scriptures, and he's and he named one in particular that caused him to be a believer, but it was about, you know, all those fulfillment of things because he had a lot of trust in the Torah and the law of prophets, Psalms. So they really struck him. And then one really got him. And he was like, wow, Jesus really was the Messiah. So that's, that's some really good information. So in, the, in our witness and in, in just in our life period as believers, Christ, as long as he's the center, we can, we can trust that we will be held in his care. Right? We don't have to worry about trying to produce fruit in ourselves because he didn't want to produce fruit. We can't do it ourselves. It's him. All right, social media family, we thank you again for joining us and we'll see you next week.